Calling all conscious achievers who are seeking more community and connection, I've got an invitation for you. Join me at this year's Summit of Greatness this September 7th through 9th in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio to unleash your true greatness. This is the one time a year that I gather the greatness community together in person for a powerful transformative weekend. People come from all over the world and you can expect to hear from inspiring speakers like Inky Johnson, Jaspreet Singh, Vanessa Van Edwards, Jen Sincero, and many more. You'll also be able to dance your heart out to live music, get your body moving with group workouts, and connect with others at our evening socials. So if you're ready to learn, heal, and grow alongside other incredible individuals in the greatness community, then you can learn more at lewishouse.com slash summit 2023. Make sure to grab your ticket, invite your friends, and I'll see you there. I didn't become a comedian to vet all my jokes with folks that may be pearl clutchers or easily offended or disagree with the jokes that I'm making. It's kind of the opposite of, of being a comedian. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness. Very excited about our guest. We have the inspiring Adam Carolla in the house. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Thank you for being here. You have. Uh, we were just talking about how you've been in in LA for a long time, and you've been leading the comedy. You've been tapped into TV and film. You've been, you know, one of the first in podcasting. You've been in this space for a while. You've seen a lot. You've said a lot. You've done a lot, and you know. I feel like everyone in this kind of community or you've tapped in or interviewed them or connected in some way to a lot of people. So congrats on everything that you've created for yourself and the impact you've made. Oh, thanks. Of course. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a question because I watched a video that you did. I think it was on PragerU that was many months ago about really like criticism where the communities or audiences um, and be and and having to be careful about what we say, you know, as comedians, I feel like comedians have had to learn how to mute themselves or really think differently about what they're going to say. I think in, in all types of media forms, podcasting and things like that, social media, we've had to learn how to do things differently. I wanted to hear your thoughts on that kind of just broad thoughts on where we are now after the last really five, six, seven years of more of cancel culture or just critics really speaking out against people's comedy, podcasting, words, media. I'm, I'm curious where you're at today on that. Um, I've always been pretty consistent in that. I wanted to say what I wanted to say. Um, I was a carpenter for a lot of years and I've always kind of said, look, if I have to stop saying what I'm thinking or what I think is funny, or when I think it's rele relevant or important or just saying what I want to say, then I should get back into carpentry, um, which doesn't pay nearly as well. So <laughs> I probably wouldn't, but I'm just saying I didn't become a comedian to vet all my jokes with folks that may be pearl clutchers or easily offended or disagree with the jokes that I'm making. 
it's kind of the opposite of of being a comedian. And I, I, I believe the second you start second guessing yourself, especially on stage or into a microphone or even doing what we're doing now, when you start second guessing yourself, it's sort of like you'll get the yips, which is a sports term for a second baseman who's bouncing the ball to the first baseman. It's not a physical problem. It's the yips. It's it's a mental problem that once the second baseman who's been fielding balls since he was six, right? If he's playing in the major leagues. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe five. I'm sure his dad was out in the yard with him when he was four, just fielding balls. And all of a sudden, eight years into being a professional baseball player, bounces one to the first baseman, and it's a 14-foot throw. Now he's got the yips. And he's and if he gets that ball and he does that and he thinks about it, this one's going in the dirt too. And I just never won't. You know, I never wanted that. So did I was you ever like, have that? No, I, and so I've always had this sort of philosophy, which is I am not an asshole, so I can act like an asshole. Really? What does that mean? Can you give me some context? Don King. Don King was convicted for stomping a man to death. Wow but he's got the little flag and only the America and the hair puffed up. Uh-huh. So he has to push that forward. Wow. I'm not that overtly nice or enthusiastic and I rarely dance, but I've never done any harm to anybody. I'm sort of quietly, maybe marginally generous quietly and just sort of take care of people around me. But I may act like a right. <laughs> but I'm not. So you're not a told what you might be a is what you're saying. I'm not interested in protecting some inner thing that I'm scared is going to get out, like an image of you or something. Yeah, I realize people. Most people think I'm a call, but I'm not. So I can say whatever I want. That's interesting. Have you ever felt um, worried or insecure or? that you should be on guard when you were either on stage performing comedy or doing a show or a podcast where you're like, maybe I should be careful of what I'm saying because I'm getting criticized. Or was the criticism something that you would lean into because you would play with that? I, 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 you know, I don't know how to fully convey this, but I think, I think COVID was probably a chapter that everyone went through and I went through it and, Judging from my reaction to COVID, I would say I probably lean into um, the criticism or the whatever whatever it is. I I put out a tweet. God, it's been almost three years now, and and I basically put a tweet out and said, "COVID kills old people and sick people, and the rest of you got played, and who's getting played next?" And then everyone ran up to me and said, you got to take that tweet down because everyone's pissed off. And I said, well, I'll take it down if it's untrue, but I'm not going to take it down just because, you know, people are pissed off and I, I never took it down. And I had, you know, a couple notable Hollywood types <laughs> call me 
sort of as a friend and just go, hey, man, you take it down, like, because you're not doing yourself any favors. And I was like, no, really? So do you appreciate them reaching out to you and saying, hey, like- I do. Uh, yeah, you know, I, think, I see what you're doing, and it's cool, but also, uh, you know, you have more sensitivity or something. Yeah, no, I get what they're what they're doing, but you just get sure. you just didn't. You, it's it's either true or it's not true, right? And I guess that's the dance of like comedians, which is like kind of speaking some truth or truth into something, but it could be a sensitive topic for people. Well, or... also, there's this thing where it's like, oh, come on, come on, man, and I'm like. My kids missed two years of school, kid, for this thing that doesn't hurt them. So what do you mean, oh, come on? What about them? Right. What about everyone who's behind now? What about people who have languished at home and put on 30 pounds or committed suicide, depression? Oh, come on? Why is it always this one-way street where it's like, oh, I hurt someone's feelings? All right, Mike, I was talking to my son the other day. It's like he's entering his senior year. I'm like, how much school do you miss? He's like, I miss entire ninth grade wow and like part of the 10th grade i'm like you missing you have no ninth grade you did not go to school for the ninth grade if you were a football player and that was your senior year i mean when i played football my senior year that i was like it was everything vision quest man yeah, it was I was like, oh i'm gonna be all valid i'm gonna, I'm gonna hit the weight room and everything if you just canceled that season, I would have killed myself. Like, honestly. So well, don't give me, oh, come on, man. What about everyone else you're f***ing up? And so that's that was like my approach to yeah. this. And in many other subjects that probably make me unpopular. Right. <laughs> so when you get these friends that reach out, that are maybe not trying to like judge you or put you down, but are trying to have your best interest and say, hey, you know, I want what's best for you and I don't want you to get harmed or your career or you to get canceled or whatever it is. You'll appreciate that, it sounds like. You're grateful for their concern. Everything for me is motivation. Right. So if you're reaching out and your motivation is, is oh, I like Adam and I, I care about him and I, I'm, I'm trying to offer some advice because I like him, then, then I appreciate it. Yeah. If you, it, you know, if you woke up at five in the morning and came to my house and got my car keys and were taking my car out to get it professionally detailed for my birthday and you totaled it on the way home, I wouldn't be mad at you at all. You were trying to get my car detailed. Right. On the other hand, if you're just going to be lazy or whatever, then I don't have time for you. But it, it's everything is motivation. Sure. For me. Right. How how old were you when you got into started getting into comedy? Um, I was like, well, I mean, the story is I had a thirtieth. Uh, the the story since we have time. Did you I teach guess, like is, Jimmy Kimmel how to box or something, and then he? Yeah, yeah. So so I was like twenty one, twenty two, and I was like my my life. I, I I was sort of looking at the trajectory of my life. And, and I didn't see anything good, you know, down the road. I was like working as a carpenter, probably kind of apprentice. Like I wasn't a, you know, it takes probably a decade to really be a, a carpenter. Like I know that's three quarter inch 
birch or half inch birch <laughs> apply for wood here. Yeah, I have no idea what it is. Yeah. If All you right. get it for ten years, you'd really know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you take it takes a it takes a little while, but I was probably about I was probably about three years in, so I, you know, knew it was like ten bucks an hour, and you know, I was just kind of sitting around in my apartment, one bedroom, North Hollywood, Laurel Canyon, you know, full two roommates, no air conditioning, you know, sleeping on sharing a futon in the valley no ac that's bold no, that's a risk. no ac man upstairs oh face, no i couldn't facing the west oh no that no heat, heat is insane. it was an oven it was a god oven and i was just sitting in there just you know sweating through my shirt and i and i was like well there's gotta be something better than this like where's this going and i was like all right, where's the carpentry going? Like, you're like I, I'm good with my hands. I, 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 I picked it up. I could do it. I had a little bit of a knack for it, you know. And I was like, all right, so where are we going here? Like, by the time you're 30, what are we talking about here? 21, 22. I go, well, maybe I'm making 18 bucks an hour. Everything was right, sort of right, by right. the hour. The incrementally. You know, you had to get from ten bucks to twelve bucks to fifteen bucks to eighteen bucks, and it was everything's just like, can we add a buck an hour every year and a half or something like that? And and so I was like sitting around, I was like, and yeah, I was so broke that you know the notion of twenty five bucks an hour like one day, well, that sounded pretty healthy to me. But I still like, it rains, you don't work, you don't get paid, you know, you leave your truck outside, they rip off your tools, you gotta, you live in an apartment, you gotta bring the truck, you gotta bring the tools in the living room, and it's just like, it starts early, everyone's a asshole, it's like half the guy, in California, I mean, in LA, half the guys don't even speak English, so it's like, you can't sit around and chew the fat, tell jokes, you know, at lunch, it was like, gay, and like, uh, yeah. So, and, and the, the guys who do speak English don't have any sense of humor either. So <laughs> I'm like, eh, what's this? And so I'm like, I, well, I don't have any money. My family doesn't have any money. I don't, I don't really have a lot of choice. I, I got to go to work every day as a carpenter, but what else might I be doing in the future that, that is interesting or there's some air conditioning involved with it <laughs> you know something I mean, you yeah. think live in an apartment this summer i'm working in chatsworth in a in a warehouse with no air or or up on the roof kind of thing like i mean whenever the whenever the weather is you're there so i'm like well this sucks and then i'm like well what else could i do but you know doctor lawyer white collar i could fill out an application i don't have any real education i don't have any credentials like i where am i gonna work i can't even know how to make a tie i don't have a suit like well where would i work i'm just a, a sort of knock around blue collary dude from north hollywood so i'm like well you have a sense of humor and i'm like all right you can do you're funny you could do something uh with something with comedy some behind the scenes writer room i you know writing for greeting cards like funny greeting cards you know anything just to get some air conditioning and, and, <laughs> and kind of get off the job site you know so i was like all right well you're you're 22 
You got eight years. So you got eight years to figure it out. Wow. To like try the comedy thing, to figure out your lane, your avenue or. And, and to, to, and to get some skill, like, all right, so you're funny. I mean, you know, being funny, it's like saying I'm handy. Yeah, you're handy, but you don't know the nailing schedule on a sheer wall. You don't know what a Tico clip is or like an A35 or you don't know the difference between a king stud and a trimmer or header paralam. You know, there's a lamb and a paralam. No, no, I don't right. know. I mean, you can be as handy as you want because you don't know, you don't intrinsically know that stuff. Right. You, you got to go learn it. And I was like, you can be as funny as you want, but if you don't know, Downstage, stage left, you know, uh, if you, you're not composed yeah. on stage or you don't know how to put together a put, set put or yeah. some set together, you don't know, to do anything, then then don't kid yourself, pardon the pun. So I was right. like, I got to go get some training, I guess. So I started signing up for Groundlings classes and found my way. And, and you know, and Groundlings was like, you're funny, but you don't know what you're doing, and so you can't act. Or so, you got to go take uh, an acting class. Like they're like, we'll let you out of basic, we'll put you in intermediate, but first you got to come home. You got to come back and prove that you passed a, a theater class, wow. like an acting class. And I was like, where do I go? What do you want me to do? Now the only rub was I didn't have any money, so <laughs> it's like. You know, like growlings and a hackney class. I didn't have insurance on my pickup truck, you know, so I didn't have dental, medical. I was barely paying rent. So I was like taking whatever beer money I had and just been like. So acting class was a luxury. Oh, yeah. Everything everything was sort of a luxury. And I, I literally didn't have car insurance, but was paying the growlings to, to like take classes of the drama, whatever place in studio. Sure, sure. And everything. And. Yeah, I couldn't act. I didn't know what that was going on. I, I, I'd never been on stage and was nervous. I didn't know where to look. You, you know what I mean? Like, I, you weren't a theater arts kid. You didn't go to like high school and, and, and take these classes there. No, all I did was play sports in high school and like wrestle with dudes. You know, we just <laughs> right. or just played sports and I, I would say wrestle, but somewhere between wrestling and a full fist fight like it wasn't just <laughs> wrestling it was sort of the ante was up yeah but uh that's all i did and then i uh, then i went on a construction site so i was dealing with people that went to theater school and college and majored and and this and that they and, had five years of reps already yeah and i i also didn't know anything i was uneducated you know so i didn't you know they'd be going to give us an activity and they'd be like you're you're making a topiary and they'd go oh okay here we go and i'd be like oh, what is that <laughs> yeah what's a topiary yeah like i remember not uh, knowing any of these things uh it's, well they take shrubs and shape them into <laughs> oh, you, have, oh, you ever been to disneyland I'm, yes and you like walk in and there's a ficus tree that looks like donald duck okay yes it's a topiary <laughs> gotcha okay right so how how was there ever a moment in those first few years of taking the, you know, stand-up classes, the acting classes, where you're like, oh, this is too hard to learn these skills, and everyone is way more advanced than me, and I'm clueless half the time or part of the time, and I don't have the money to afford this th stuff. Was there ever a point where you're like, I just need to stick to doing the carpentry stuff? 
Um, I, I had some ebbs and some flows and some highs and some lows. Like when I got asked to leave the Groundlings at a certain point at the end, I was like rudderless and fully depressed and wow. like didn't know what to do. But, um, well, I was like, look, um, I don't think carpentry is, is a viable option in that I wanted, I was like, I want to own a home one day and I might like to have kids one day and a wife and, and I'm going to have to like support those kids and pay a mortgage and maybe support my wife and have insurance and a credit card, or maybe we want to go on a vacation or something. I don't have a credit card. I don't have anything. And I just can't see carpentry doing that. Carpentry getting but, me that house and doing who, all that stuff. What was this, early 90s, though? Yeah. I mean, this is uh, the decision is probably made in like later 80s, but later 80s. now into the early 90s, and but it, nothing's happening. But I'm assuming if you're saying to yourself, I don't see this carpentry thing being able to support my vision, and you're saying, I'm going after comedy, I don't think parents or anyone else should say that's the right path to go down if you want to buy a home if you want to you know yeah yeah it seems lower percentage right? it's like uh, take the safer more surefire thing as opposed to try this comedy thing for 10 years maybe you make some money you know and figure it out yeah it it's a it's a lower percentage route it didn't seem like this is the surefire way yeah well, I didn't have to vet it with anybody because my parents were like, look, you're, you know, you're 18, you, you got to leave. And that was sort of the last career-based conversation I had with them. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so i did not you know there wasn't they wouldn't have cared it, it didn't really matter it, right, it, right, right. It, they just it, whatever i was or whatever i did it didn't matter just as long as i didn't ask them for money in we the, were, were fine in the late 80s early 90s who were the big people in comedy uh whether it was stand-up or tv film or late night it, shows it, it, who it, were like the icons it, at that time it that you was looked at? like andrew dice clay was blowing up seinfeld's always kind of a stalwart you know always always there uh guys like richard lewis were doing a, making the rounds i mean it, it a lot of names you probably wouldn't recognize because they had a kind of had some heat then and uh, sort of died off now yeah he literally or figuratively right. like i mean it's just there's just so many names that you know cycled through and a lot of them had shots on the tonight show and had their own game shows and stuff like that and you just haven't heard of them and haven't heard of them but um who are the people you looked up to or you were like wow that's really inspiring what they've done in their career that you actually became friends with or worked with or have 
I was always, I, I always listened to the radio and I always loved the radio. And I, I listened to talk radio when I was younger and it didn't matter who was on. I would listen to a psychologist, um, named David Viscott. I would listen to like Dean Adele, the doctor. I would listen. I'd tell Dennis Prager still on the radio. I go, I would listen to religion on the line, your first talk show. And I'm an atheist. And I would just listen. Cause I was like, we got a rabbi, we got a priest and we're going to argue about religion. I'd go, good, let's hear it. And I, I'm not religious at all. I just always enjoyed hearing Dr. Ruth had a show on out here. I would just, you know, the real estate guy or the financial guy, I would just listen to talk radio. Always like talk. I, I would just listen to it. Like, I don't know, like when you're leaving and you, you think your dog's going to get lonely, so you put the radio on so he thinks you're <laughs> yeah. somebody. He's probably freaked out because he thinks someone's <laughs> trapped in a speaker. I mean, we don't really think of the, right. the downstream consequences of keeping our dogs company, but I just like voices, you know, and I would listen to morning radio because I drove my truck every morning. My construction hours are like morning radio hours, morning radio, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. That's the shift. And then like they start playing music after that. A lot of stations, FM. I'd be getting into my truck at 6.15, 6 o'clock, you know, because I had a job and I work in a, build a house in an avocado orchard in Simi Valley. You know, you got to be rolled out at 7 a.m. You got to leave at, at 6 or house up in the hills of Malibu on Rambla Pacifico, you know, got to leave at 6 or downtown doing earthquake rehab, you know, sitting in traffic. Right. So I get in the car, turn on morning radio. I go right through, I get to the job sites, turn on the, the boom box or go to the uh, warehouse. You know, cabinet shop is working at in Chatsworth, an industrial park, and just walk in, you know, turn it on, finish listening, listen only. And, and I was like, I could do that. I could definitely do that. I'm never going to do it. I'm not going to get a chance right, to right. do it, but, but, I, but, I, but I, can, I can do it. And so for me... You know, it wasn't so much like comedy's low percentage and carpentry is a much higher percentage gig. And so, you know, you were inquiring about me going, I want to get a house and have a family, so I'm going to do comedy. Comedy's going to get me there. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds low percentage. And and I'm going to sound like a huge but playing in the NFL is super low percentage. But it's not for Lawrence Taylor. For him, it's a good, it's a pretty good bet. He shouldn't work at a Home Depot. He should be coming off the weak side, you know. <laughs> right. And I felt like I had enough ability where it was like, yeah, it's one in every two thousand kids who played college football gets to the pros, and you go, that's low percent. It's not low percentage for Lawrence Taylor. He's setting his own percentage. You know what I mean? He's in charge. Did and you? That's how I looked at it. Like right. I'm in charge. Right. Uh, yeah. If you take 500 guys who want to be a comedian, they go, "Or well, only one of you is going to succeed." Then no, I'm not doing that. But if you let me produce or create or let me come off the weak side, then then I can make the team. 
All That's right, interesting. Or, or at least I could make the team. Right. I don't. I don't know that there's any right, right. guarantees. That's interesting because, you know, I feel like in every high school or every college, there's always like a couple of funny guys, right? It's like, okay, this is our funny guy who tells all the jokes. If we want someone to lighten the mood, there's always a couple people that you could rely on. So there's thousands every year that come out of high school or thousands every year that come out of college who are like the funny person from their school around the country, right? But was there something inside of you that said, I have a belief in myself, even though I haven't really had these experiences, I'm getting kicked out of the stand-up club, I'm you know, I don't know what they're talking about with these theater concepts and lingo. Did you still just have this belief that like, well, I can figure out my own weak side. I can figure out my own lane in this comedy world to make money. Or how did you believe in yourself enough to pursue it until you started to make money? Uh, I got kicked out of the growlings just for growlings, just for accuracy. Um, and what, what is the growlings? It's a, it's an improv. Improv group. is what I meant. That's yes. where all the I was thinking stand up group. SNL cast yeah, that's, comes all I said stand up, I meant improv. Yeah, yeah. I know you did. Yeah. Brownlee's is improv. Got for it. For your viewers at home. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I was, I've never been, I, I never really involved my own feelings in my assessment of myself. So. I'm never right because it's me or I'm never wrong because it's me. It's I'm very compartmentalized and detached. So I have no ego and I grew up with not low self-esteem. I grew up with no self-esteem, which is not bad. I just didn't have any thoughts about myself that were inaccurate. I, I just didn't get fluffed up by my family at all. I didn't think I was anything. So the good news about not having a bunch of free existing notions or feelings about yourself is I could judge myself pretty practically, you know, and, and I would say to people, you know, later on and all the time, but I don't know why it makes you, but I was like, I was a good carpenter and I was funny. Like I knew I was funny. Like I knew I was a good carpenter. So I, I don't know. You can say, well, that's egotistic or you're fully your or whatever it is. And I was like, no, I listened to the morning radio shows when I drove my truck and I got to the shop and everything. And I would listen to everybody. And I was like, I'm faster than these guys are. And I'm funnier than these guys Interesting. are. I, I could, I could fill in the joke faster than they could just drive my truck. You would you know? respond by yourself to what they were saying. Yeah. Like, like what would you say? Well, you're interviewing this person or that person, you know, like, uh, what, you know, bang, bang, bang. And I was, cool. I was like playing the game in my head. And so I was like, um, clubber Lang, you know, just training alone. All right. That's cool. It's like, yeah, it's like, you're like, I think of that as like the people that watch jeopardy and they're just responding before everyone else. Right. At home. You know, you're watching at home and you're like, you know, every answer before the person does. Right. Now, the difference is, is with Jeopardy and with stand-up. So what happens when the spotlight hits you? Can you still do it? You will slow down a little bit in your answers. I've been been there. So I can tell you. Have you done Jeopardy? I've done other stuff like that. Stuff like that. And you're like, oh, crap, you knew. You you can't summon because you get 10 seconds, you know, and you're like. (laughs) Um, So uh, I was like. I have the ability to do this and I've always been realistic, you know, with myself. Um, 
I wanted to play football when I was younger. I played it as much as I could play it. I was a standout in high school. And then that was, it was pretty much it. And I was like, because you do not have the ability to do this so you at, a, yeah. at, a, at a higher level. Right. You don't have that ability. You're not Lawrence Taylor. But if I knew how to do something or I felt like I have the ability, yes. then I'm not going to deny it. That's the way I felt. And um, so I I just kept, you know, sort of plugging away, but I, I didn't really find a home. I, I knew I needed to find a specific sport to play other than just being athletic. Sure. I needed the sure. sport, the stand-up, radio, the sport the of comedy. Yeah, the sport of comedy. Or the the yeah. avenue, the lane. Yeah. Yeah. That's like saying I'm funny is like saying I'm athletic. I mean, well, look, you, you, you may play baseball, but that doesn't mean you bowl right. or ski right. well. Right. You play football doesn't mean you're a fast swimmer uh-huh. or something. You know what I mean? Like you got to pick your lane, you know? And I never knew what lane. So you to tried pick. a bunch of different stuff. I picked all lanes. How many years did it take? Until you felt like, oh, I'm actually making decent money and I figured out my lane or lanes that worked for me. How many years was that? Um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't years. It was months really? probably. Yeah. I didn't make, well, because I made no money for, you know, eight years or something. I just, I didn't get paid. I, I improv troops, acting classes, growlings, open mics, anything that anybody said sounded cool. You know, like if you just went, hey man, let's just go sit at the, let's go sit at the diner and, and, and write sketches till four in the morning, just drinking free coffee refills on like a I'll Tuesday out. It'd be like, I'll bring my notebook, you know, and what, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know? So all I did was just for free, but I never made a penny. I mean, like I, you know, occasionally be some weird thing where like some guy would get a gig here, like we're going to get in cowboy outfits and we're going to the Gene Autry museum and they need us to do a funny little thing, you know, and I'll pay a hundred dollars, you know, and I go like, yeah, okay, let, let's, let's do it. You know? But I mean, I, I taught comedy traffic school it was a thing back in the day got paid but I was a traffic I was a traffic school right. teacher but I but in my mind I was in front of an audience even though there were just people that were cited for speaking right, right. and it was air conditioned you know getting paid and I wasn't covered with stucco dust you know at the end of the day so uh but no I yeah I didn't I didn't make any money so you were doing stuff you would like to you enjoyed that you were finding a talent and good at, but you weren't making money until how many years until you're making, uh, well, then when I was coming up on my 30th birthday was, was the problem. And that was the timeline for you. It was like, okay, I got eight years. I just, I, I could have started 21. I could have started 22. I mean, I remember the apartment I was in, I was in my first apartment. So it was pretty early, but I was just like, look, you got until you're 30 because 30 sounded old enough to like, okay, no more sharing futons and you know right drinking schaefer beer in the park you know ramen noodles yeah yeah ramen noodles and you know generic captain crunch and 
Not even the real Captain Crunch. Yeah, no, like the, no, everything was the half off Captain yeah, Crunch. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, by the time you're 30, you got to be doing something. Doing something, you know. And um, so, what did you decide to do? Well, I was a little earlier on, probably about a year, maybe a year and a half earlier. I, I, I like, I always liked boxing, you know. And I was like, they were opening these gyms, or like white collar boxing or whatever like you teach lawyers and doctors right, right. Box. that could be that could be fun because I, I like it i was so tired of construction that uh -huh. I, I just i couldn't take it anymore and and, and i was like i want to be around people and smart people and people have money and people that drive some other truck and and everything and i i, I kind of made my way into a boxing gym it's called bodies in motion it used to be right up this down eco or something not far is this like late 90s now or no no this is still early this is like 90 wow uh 91 maybe whatever i i went into there and I, like i talked to the guy and i'm like hey man i you know i could really be a good boxing coach and he's like get out <laughs> get out of here and he just told me to buzz off you know and and i was like why don't you give me a shot? You know, and he's like, we don't, we just hire ex champions and champions, <laughs> bros. And, yeah, and we hire real people. Like, we, we say, I gotta have credentials because sure. this guy's a WBA, you know, welterweight, right? This, you know, they, you, you idiot walked off a construction site. That's not those aren't credentials. Yeah. This you is know? a bronze medalist in the Olympics. This is a yeah, uh, yeah. This is a, and if they, they fluff them up a little, uh -huh. you know, but so he just went now. You know, and and I remember I was I, I was I, I was looking at, at the club at the fitness place, and I saw like speed bag stations with the bag and the you know I saw like a couple of them like they were sitting on the floor like a, against the wall, and he was like shooing me out of the place, and I was like, hey, those speed bags, you need those hung, and all of a sudden he was like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm a carpenter. And he's like, oh, you are? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, because I got some heavy bags that need to be hung too. And I'm like, well, I know how to do that. And he's like, oh, so let's talk. And I said, okay, you give me 10 bucks an hour, just flat out. And I mean, back then, carpenters probably make it 15, 16 bucks an hour or something. I was going, just give me 10 bucks an hour. Uh, what time's the gym close? Like ten at night or whatever. I said, like, what time's it open? You know, six in the morning. I was like, I'll be here ten at night, six in the morning. I'll show up at night. I'll hang all this stuff. Just give me the keys and uh, and you let me try teaching boxing. Wow. And the guy's like, yeah, okay, sure, <laughs> sure. So I taught a little bit. And then he wanted to open a place in uh, Old Town, Pasadena. That was another place, but he did it like renovate or whatever. And he was like, you build that place for 10 bucks an hour and you can teach there. And I was like, I'll do it. Holy cow. And so I built it. And so I taught there. But I would make $20 a class. So, and I was only teaching like five classes a week or something. But, but it's like in, in my world, I was doing something different. And I was kind of enjoying myself. It was fun, fun to leave the class and put your mixtape on and all that stuff. And so I was like, all right, well, this feels 
better than, you know, being on a construction site. But I, I was still building cabinets and working for myself because I, I couldn't cut it on a hundred bucks a week, you know, I'd teach my morning boxing and then, then go to the job yeah. and go build cabinets for somebody or something like that. And then I was, I was driving over the hill, um, driving over Laurel Canyon, going up the hill. And I was just listening to uh, Kevin and Bean on K-Rock and they were talking about a Jimmy the sports guy and Michael the maintenance man and Jimmy said something offensive and they got into an argument and um, they're going to have a boxing match. And they're like, we need trainers, you know? And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I could, I don't think it's like, I could see the radio station. I could, I, I, what is this like, this radio station? I listen to it every day. I don't know where it is. What's it, what's it like, you know? And as I kept, I got to the customer's house and I was like, could I use your phone? And she was nice. And she's like, yeah. And I, I was calling the radio station. And I just get Frank Murphy, the producer, I just get his answering machine. I'm, like, I'm a boxing coach and I want to train someone. And, you know, here's my home number. Or leave a message or whatever. And uh, they never they never called back. And and some days were going by, and I'd be listening. Like we need a boxing coach, and they're like, guys were like calling in on air and stuff, and I couldn't get anything going. So I they wouldn't return calls. They wouldn't do anything. So I just went. I found out where the radio station was. Went before my seven a.m. boxing class, or maybe it was like a six a.m. boxing class. I, I can't remember. It was early, like six thirty seven. And I, I went down there, I got into the building. It was like a commercial building. And then just went up to the ninth floor, but the suite was locked where the radio station was. And I knew they were in there somewhere, but they're, they're not the receptionist. You know, you know. And then, you, you know, business hours, nine to five, you know, like if you win tickets to YouTube, right, you pick you, them up, you yeah, gotta yeah. pick them up and you can't show up at seven. No one's there. And they're there, but the reception right. isn't there, you know? So I was like, odd. Uh, now, oh, now I showed up at five thirty in the morning one day, and I couldn't get into the building. That's what happened. Then I showed up the next day at like six thirty or seven. I did get into the building, but I couldn't get into K Rock. And then I was just standing on the ninth floor by the elevators, and I knew that was the K Rock like suite, but no one's gonna answer. And I was just like standing by the elevators, like, what do I do? Do I come back? Like, maybe I'll come back in two hours and someone will be there. But then what if I get into the suite? I like, is the receptionist going to go get the morning show guys? Right. I don't think that's what they do. <laughs> like, they're going to just go leave a number and I'm yeah. just going to leave. And I'm, and right as I'm sort of going over the machinations in my head, I'm like, where could I, how could I work this out? Some guy just comes out of the elevator. And he starts like making a, a, a line for the back of K-Rock with the key card door, like the, the staff door. And I'm like kind of walking with him and, and he's going in, you know, and I go, are, are you going into K-Rock? And he's like, yeah. And I don't know to this day. I don't know if he's the vending machine repair guy or he's a phone screener or like whatever he is, he's just going in. And I go, Hey, if, if you're going in there, just tell him the boxing, there's a boxing coach and he's just, I'll just be by the elevators. I'll just be hanging here. So just tell him someone's here. 
and the, you know, I think the guy kind of just put his hand <laughs> up or something. Like we didn't talk about it. He was like doing something, Walked you know, it, yeah. and he just kind of went, yeah. And one door shut, you know? And so I just went and stood by the elevators and I was probably out there about 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. And then, uh, at some point some guy just came down the hall. It's a young guy. He's like, you the boxing coach? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh, okay. Uh, you want to teach me to box? I said, uh, yeah. I said, well, who are you? You know, what's your name? It's like, oh, my name's Jimmy. Jimmy the sports guy. I said, okay. Well, Jimmy the sports guy is going to fight Michael the maintenance man. I guess I just got Jimmy the sports guy. So I'll train you to box. And uh, I said, when do you want to start? He said, how about today? And I was like, yeah. I'm at Bodies in Motion in Pasadena, like Old Town Pasadena. I'll meet you by the parking structure <laughs> like at noon. He said, all right, I'll see you at noon. Okay. And then that guy turned out to be Jimmy Kimmel. Wow. And I was pretty lucky that it wasn't Michael the Maintenance Man who came out, but Jimmy did. So you start, so Jimmy shows up that day and you start boxing. Yeah. And I'm going to be turning 30 in like, three weeks wow and i'm like i've got to do figure something. out something with this guy you know so what happened with how long were you you know training jimmy kimmel for this match and then what evolved from that opportunity probably, probably had about three weeks probably a few sessions a week or well jimmy was my meal ticket my life preserver like i'm like I got to hang on this guy with both hands. He's a dude. He's in radio. He's on radio. He's on the radio. He's making money. He's making money. Now he's making yeah. $49,000 a year or 44000 He's living in a rented house in Reseda and driving a RX-7 that's beat to, you know. But well, it's better than you. But it's it's better than me. And he's in radio. And so I'm like, I got to figure out a way to get this guy to think I'm super funny. <laughs> <laughs> and not just a boxing coach. Right. Not just, oh, I showed up to like teach you and then this is all I do. No, but I, I don't want him to think I'm not a boxing coach because I don't want him to think I'm just trying to springboard this into that. You know, I'm some guy who just said he was a boxing coach. So how many people have come up to you, you know, at a restaurant in LA and said, I'm an actor, I'm a writer, let me show you my script and let me do a set or. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody, so many... nobody wants that. Right. So I, I was pretty much 80% boxing and 20% funny for the first few sessions. Right. But then I started to move more toward comedy and, and as the boxing diminished the comedy went up and and then we like train you know he trained for 45 minutes or i don't know an hour whatever teach him a few things and then go you know they got this little cafe upstairs you know they got a cold snapples we just unwind a little you yeah. know have a seat drink a snapple you know and <laughs> yeah and he didn't want to train either so I was yeah like, let's go Harvard, shoot the let's, yeah let's go grab a snample and, and cool off you know and next thing you know we're we're sitting there for two hours. It's comedy know, hour. It's, it's comedy like, hour. And I'm talking about ideas. Like, this is a radio show. You're like our conversation. Yeah. So wow. I had him pretty convinced after about, by the time the fight came around, 
he he said, do you have anything like tape or anything <laughs> I could see on you? Like, I don't exactly know like what your thing is, you know? And I had a tape, VHS tape of a home improvement sort of comedy show that I did on Eagle Rock public access, you know, it's nothing. It was just a little public access, stupid Saturday thing, but it was, Hey, it was something, you know, yeah. it was something. And I like brought it over to his house and I was like, it's just a public access thing. Right. You know, it's not very professional, whatever, but you could kind of see what, what I'm like, you know, on camera, whatever. And, and he watched it. And because Jimmy's, you know, has a good eye, he, he was like, yeah, I get it. Like, I can see, I can see this. <laughs> I can see what you're doing. Yeah. I see what you're doing. I mean, there's no production and there's sure. no set and there's no anything, but, but I get it. You know, I, he, I, he was discerning enough to kind of go, there's bits and pieces here or something. And then, um, he lost the fight and then. <laughs> He's like, you weren't that good of a trainer. Nah, you're better at comedy. I was than not you. that good a trainer. Right. Yeah. I was actually, I was a good trainer that I could teach people how to box, but we, we weren't getting it done in three weeks yeah, and I, I was focusing on comedy. And so, uh, when we were done with the fight on a, on a Friday, Jimmy and I were friends, you know, he, he loved me. I loved him. I mean, he found somebody he could talk to and he liked comedy kind of like that. He just liked me. I liked it like immediately, you know? And he was like, was he around the same age, around 30? He's a, he's a couple years younger than I am. Yeah. And, and he was like, he's like three and a half years or something. He was, he was like 27 Well, he was like something. 26 and I was turning 30, like right about then. And I know what his birthday is. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, so he, had, he had two kids and was married. At 26. You know, before that. Wow. Right, right. right, 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 right now. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, God, this dude's got kids. And I'm living in La Crescenta in a rented house with three dudes, you know, and he's like, has a family and house and got put together. Yeah. And like, th- I think this guy's kind of responsible, has it going on. It's not like my buddies from high school. You right. Know? And so, um, I, you know, now the fight's over and this kind of the end of the, of the prom for me, you know, and I'm like, what could I do to like with the radio, like something with the morning show or something, something to have like a segment or be a correspondent something, or do something, something. Yeah. like I, I'll drive, weekly gag, I'll drive the yeah. van, I'll do whatever. <laughs> right. I, I want to get in there. You know, I want to get in there. And what did he say? He said, uh, he said, what do you do? And then I said, I make things funnier. Like I shoot the breeze. I'm, back and forth i'm on my feet you know i'm an improv guy you know i'd be in there making the making it funnier you know and he just went that's what kevin and bean do that what do they need you what do they need you for you think you're gonna sit like in between them and like make them funnier that's their show and they don't need you for that so you you gotta come up with something other than that and so he said, you got to come up with a character. And if you come up with a character and it works, and then it could be part, a reoccurring thing. And I'm like, 
I'm not really a character dude. I don't really do voices. I'm not that guy. Like, I'm just not a character guy. And he's like, well, it's better start. <laughs> figure it out. And I was like, all right. That's your way in. And he said, you can call in on Monday. I won't tell them who you are because they'll think you're the boxing coach. That's not going to work. So I'll just set it up. I'll tell them I got this thing's funny. Guy's going to call in. They're not going to know anything and, and just call in Monday. And, you know, it. they're a little moody. Like it may not, they may, it's probably, I've been on the other end of this a lot where it's like someone goes, how do you want to have that guy back? Or is it funny? And I'm like, eh, didn't, no, didn't really <laughs> land. It didn't really work. And um, so I did it, uh, you know, Monday morning, whatever. And, um, I did a character and, and it kind of worked. Like it was, it was like worked enough, you know? And of course I called Jimmy like the second. How'd it go? Yeah. yeah. What, what happened? Yeah. And, and he was like, yeah, they, they thought it was pretty, you know, <laughs> that I was pretty good. You know, it was okay. Um, like, could we try it next week? Can I try it again next week? Like, yeah, I think I can get him to whatever next week. And so I did it the next week and then the next week. And then it, it blew up and it just became this super popular bit and and then and then i got love line and i got signed by i got signed by william morris like immediately and one of the everyone in hollywood kind of listened to k-rock and this bit became so successful and the character got so popular so fast that i literally got signed from william morris like couple of months into it and and then i got love line and then and and so there was no trajectory i was like making zero and i've looked at my statement it's like social security whatever they send you in the mail every 10 years i was like making four thousand dollars a year and twelve thousand dollars a year and zero a year because i was working under the table or whatever and then it's like $36,000 a year was like my first sort of Iraq thing. And then the next year was like $350,000. And then two years later, it was like a million dollars. It was like, it was like, it just went, but it was nothing before then. And when I started, I, I started for free, you know, and, and I did it for a while, months probably. And I would, I would have a lot of my friends from the neighborhood kind of guys be like, what are they paying you? What are they paying you? And I'd be like, they're not paying me anything. And they're like, why are they paying you? They should be paying you. And I, so eventually we settled on, on 50 bucks a bit. And I remember telling my friends, well, they're, they're paying me. They're giving me 50 bucks a bit. And they were like, 50 bucks a bit, <laughs> you know, because they got, at that time, they're making 20 bucks an hour as a carpenter. Like, I thought this was show business, you know, making less than right. I make for a day, you know. And I just remember super clearly when they were protesting, 50 bucks, that kind of money's that. That's a big station, you know? I just You're said, like, this is a dream for me. I'm on the radio, I'm doing a bit. I got William Memorial's, yeah. I said, I should be paying them. Oh. And they didn't really understand what it meant. But I got signed by William Morris. I took over on Loveline, and it was just sort of rocket ship. Soon as, you know, two months later, after I told them that. So I was like, and I knew instinctively this exposure is so great and people, 
and and it was is it was as I planned, uh, not planned, but I walked in and I was funnier than everyone, and I was like, I I knew it. I just needed the reason it took off is because I was really good, but I just never had an audience or a place or a sport or a whatever platform. Yeah, to- and then. And it and and then I got in a love line, and then they started syndicating, and then it was like a hundred and whatever markets, and then the TV shows, blah blah blah. But I was good, like I was ready to go, and and I'd trained and I'd trained and I'd trained, and I had no matches, and all of a sudden I met Jimmy. But it wasn't just meeting Jimmy; it was just being exposed. The second I got exposed, it just everything just blew up. Would you say he's? One of your closest friends and colleagues over all the years. Oh yeah, for sure. What would you say are the the three lessons you've learned the most from him, from working with Jimmy and being friends with him and um, watching his career and the the number one lesson I've learned for him from him is when you make yourself of of service for other people you end up getting paid back sort of tenfold. And it's, and I don't mean cosmically. I just mean, you know, Jimmy stuck his neck out for me. He helped me. He would show up at, you know, four in the morning with the radio station and help edit a bit I was doing or something like that. He was very magnanimous, very magnanimous. But at some point, I took over for Howard Stern I signed a big radio deal. Jimmy was a producer and Jimmy was making hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, mailbox money. And it's like, oh yeah, you did get, you did make some money. I mean, we're still not even. (laughs) I owe him a lot more money, but he invested this time and it wasn't, he did it because he believed in me or who, whatever he believes it, you know, he didn't do it for the money, but he put the time in and there was a payday after, after that. And, and, and it's about relationships and, and the people I know who give the least have the least, the people I know that are the most tight fisted with not so much money, but their time, time and teaching and mentorship and access and resources. I think about the people, mostly family members of mine, who've done nothing for anybody else and have nothing. And then there's Jimmy who does everything for everyone else and has everything. Wow. And, and I realize, well, how's this work? Because it's not like, oh, I lend everyone $100 or I give everyone $100 so I'm rich. How does it work? And it's like, Oh, it's all relationships. It's all relationships. Wow. So that's a big lesson you've learned from him. What's what's another lesson you've either witnessed or he's taught you directly or indirectly, would you say? Um, I've learned a lot about pizza. <laughs> yes. He really be, the first gift I ever got him was a pizza stone for his oven. Okay. And he started building elaborate pizza ovens. So a lot of it's sort of pizza related. Okay. Um, I learned that show business and, in comedy is sort of part your God given sense of humor and ability, but it's mostly about 
whatever qualities you would need to succeed in the roofing or siding business or whatever. It's just Jimmy, Jimmy is not the most naturally gifted comedic mind I've ever met, which sounds like I'm, you know, downplaying it. I'm, I'm not. He's a, Jimmy's a funny dude, but, but I, there's a lot of funny guys. He brings the work ethic to the comedy. Really? A lot of comedians like to, you know, rip bong loads and, you know, go to brunch and sort of hang out. Like, like a lot of comedians were attracted to comedy because they didn't want to work. And they just were like, and there are a lot of those comedians. Like they're hanging out during the day. Jimmy's at work. Like Jimmy was always at work. He, he was at the, you know, radio station at five in the morning. You know, when we're doing the man show, he's bringing home a stack of writers submissions and reading every one of them and everything. It's like what you can do with ability when that ability meets strong work ethic, you can conquer the world. Um, each one alone is not really going to cut it in show business or comedy. Right. Cause you've probably seen a ton of comedians at stand up over the years who are probably really funny. Like you're like, wow, that was creative. That was, you know, a genius thing, or you really had the timing down or whatever you were working the crowd and they were in it in the pocket, but they didn't have the work ethic to actually follow through and produce something or build the right relationships to make things happen. You've probably seen a lot of funny people, right? Talented, funny people that didn't make it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you need, I mean, you know, it's helps to be semi sober and not, you know, go off the rails with, you know, cocaine or whatever. I mean, it, there's a, there's, there's sort of mitigating factors and circumstances, but you know, not pissing people off not being flaky, say, doing what you said you were going to do, being kind of dutiful, showing up, like having people be able to count on you to be there. Right. Not being a diva. A business, yeah. not being a diva. Not being a diva like you on a Wednesday. So, you know, so <laughs> I need a fresh coffee. <laughs> so that kind of a work, work ethic, which, which he has a very strong, he has a kind of a accountants-like work ethic with a sort of artist's mind. That's cool. You know what I mean? And if you you put those together, uh, you got a you got a pretty winning combination. That's amazing. How long were you guys working on the Man Show for? Because that was a big show for a while. Uh, we did four seasons, maybe a hundred something episode hundred. A little over a hundred episodes, I think. Something wow. like that. You've done a lot of projects together. You've been so what's it been thirty years? Like working with him and knowing him and helping each other and just being in the business together? Well, yeah, it's it's easy for me because I was going to turn thirty. So I know I have a marker where I met Jimmy because I'm always bad at eh, what I do. It's like <laughs> you know, I, I like I would say to Dr. Who, when did I start Loveline? Was that 95? No, 96 or whatever. I'd be like, yeah, when, when was it? it like, I, I, I'm not a marker of time, but because I was so consumed with turning 30 and not getting anywhere, 
I, I met Jimmy right when I turned 30 and I'm 59 now. So wow. I, it'll be 30 years, 30 years, three decades. Wow. Com coming up. Where do you think you'd be if you didn't show up to that radio station that day? Um, I mean, is, is Kevin and Bean put it as I'm working on a K-Rock documentary. They're like, you know, Adam was so funny. He would have ended up somewhere doing something. Again, I'm, I'm trying to sound like a swipe, but they were like, he's super like the funniest guy I've ever met. So he would have figured in Jimmy the same way. Like he wasn't going to stay there at K-Rock doing the sports for another 25 years. He would have been on to something. I would have been on to something too. God knows when. I mean, I don't know when or where. I don't know if I would have. I, I mean, I'm a kind of a strong believer in I, I may have, I would have found my way into radio in some way, somehow, because I was so interested in it and always kind of circling around it, thinking about it a lot. It's um, interesting, though, because if you maybe you turn 30 and then 31 and 2, if you haven't had anything yet, you might have been like, you know what? I'm just going to go full time in a carpentry or boxing or whatever it is. Yeah, I was, I was like, I just wouldn't commit to not trying to do something creative. Yeah. I, I was told I used to pull up to the job site with my crappy pickup truck, you know, and, and I remember periodically, like every couple of years, some guy had a new truck, you uh -huh. know, and, and if you had a new truck, that was, that was a big deal. You pull it up in that new truck because everyone was driving beaters old you know, stuff. And I'd buy my stuff out of the recycler you know old Datsuns you know 79 you know little miniature little Japanese trucks and stuff and I, I remember a guy named Jan about my age only a couple of years older so foreman on his job he come fold up this new Ford Ranger you know and V6 and it was like oh crew cab you know whatever and I was like wow sweet yeah uh, and he was like, went down to, you know, Gallup and Ford and it's, you know, 289 bucks a month. It's like, but you have to have full coverage insurance, like for your making payments and stuff. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, he's like, you should go get a truck, get a nice truck, get a new truck. And I was like, I, I, if I commit to that, then I'm, I'm not going to be able to, you know, I got to take my groundlings classes and <laughs> do all my other stuff. I, I don't want to get. If I get committed to this pain, then I have to get my contractor's license and you're getting your contractor's license. And everyone's like, get your contractor's license and start making some money and get a new truck. And I was like, I'm going to get sucked into this thing. I'm going to have bills. And then this is what I'll be doing. Right. Like full time. Wow. And I'm not going to be able to take off and go do this class or do this thing or do whatever. So I, I always kind of knew it. Like I just, I, I don't want to commit to this and I want to, I want to commit to comedy, but I know it's not a high percentage thing and I, I don't know who's in it, but I just feel like I'm, I'll find a way. If I just wow. keep walking forward, I'll find something. This is the fascinating thing though. This is part of your story that I really like is there's a lot of talented musicians or artists or athletes or just talented, smart people at different things who don't go to the station. They, yeah. they, they take the classes, they work at 4am at the coffee shop, working with their friends on projects. They do their art in their living room. They do these things, but they don't 
put it out there and they don't risk it to that extent. Just that one extra step that you took. It's like, I showed up and no one was there. I showed up the next day and no one was there. But I decided to stick around. Then I told the guy, hey, let them know I'm outside, I'll be here. And then you waited. Like you, you took an extra step that was unconventional at that time. My girlfriend, she's done over 40 movies. She's, a, she's done a, a ton of movies in Mexico and also in the U.S. But she has a similar story where she was like, I didn't know how to get into acting, but I just showed up to the casting place and I just said, hey, I, I think it would be great for a movie. And here's my paper, here's my headshot, whatever. And just talked to everyone and just said, hey, do you have anything that I can do a casting for? If she didn't show up for that, she wouldn't have landed like her first big movie and then all the other things that came from that because she showed up to the, the office, the casting, without unannounced. And I think a lot of people don't show up unannounced. Showing up, is it's about seven or eight-tenths of whatever it is you're trying to do. You just right. have to show up. Because you had the talent for years. Yeah. You, you, had, you were the funny. You're like, yeah, he would have finally figured it out and landed somewhere, but maybe you wouldn't have if you didn't put yourself out there in that way. If you didn't show up to the station yeah i was never that kind of guy i was not i was not proactive i was kind of low self-esteem and i just kind of kept quiet and stuff and i, I didn't put myself out there um that's inspiring so did. i didn't do it but i did it this time and, and you met jimmy and look what happened from there it's amazing yeah it's 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 interesting it's just it's a journey man adam i appreciate your time here i've got a couple uh questions that I ask everyone at the end before I ask them I would just want to tell people to make sure they check out your show on adamcarolla.com I think you got your tour dates on there you got your podcast information you got all the stuff you're working on there um uh, I appreciate you having a, me on your show I thought it was a lot of fun it's just a funny time and everything that you guys talk about over there so thanks for having me on your show sure. and I um, want people to follow that Adam Carolla show over on podcasts and Check out your tour. If you thought this was interesting and funny and, you know, all that stuff, make sure to check out your website and check out your tour. Is there anywhere else we can send people to today to support and serve you? Uh, no. AdamCarolla.com is where all the info is. Yeah, that's great. Um, I appreciate your honesty. I want to acknowledge you for your realness and your truth and sharing just all the lessons in the journey. You've been in this game for a long time. You've seen people come and go. You've gone through ups and downs. And I just appreciate your consistency. You show up, you work hard. Um, you know, some people love you, some people don't like you, but it sounds like you like you, which I think is good. It's like you. <laughs> I'm agnostic <laughs> on myself, but and, and I just realize my strengths and my foibles. Yeah. You know, and I just, I, you should be realistic with yourself. Otherwise, sure. you're going to get your. Okay. Sure. But you also realize you're like, oh, this might be a little, but. This is who I am and this is, you know, but I'm trying to be a good guy. So I just appreciate the realness uh, of you being who you say you are. Um, and I acknowledge you for that. I acknowledge you for really leading the way in an industry that I, I, I felt like I was an early adopter in podcasting, but I remember seeing you and Rogan was really in some random tech, you know, podcasts early on that were leading the way. And so I really acknowledge you for inspiring me for you know, seeing what's possible in the world of podcasting, seeing what's possible to share my voice in my own unique way. And there was only a few people that were doing that, and that was you. So I really acknowledge you for that that uh, model that you had. Um, this is a question I ask everyone towards the end. 
um, two final questions that I ask everyone towards the end. One is called the three truths. So this is a hypothetical scenario. You can answer it however you like, but I would like you to imagine that it's, you get to live as long as you want, but it's the last day in your life. You get to, uh, experience and accomplish everything you want for as many years as possible, but then it's the last day. And for whatever reason on this last day, hypothetical scenario, you've got to take all of your content with you. So books, podcasts, shows, there's no one has access to your content anymore or anything you've shared, but you get to leave behind three lessons to the world that you feel like, all right, this, this is all they have of my content. I'm going to share these three lessons. I call it the three truths. What would those three truths be for you? Uh, whatever damage happens in your life or negative, negative things that happen in your life, it will most likely be self-inflicted. Most everyone I know who's really had some bad times, it's, it's all been either directly or indirectly their own doing. So you do a lot of externalizing realize when stuff happens there's a if not direct indirect path right back to you and your actions so understand that um there's really almost no such thing as like literally just i was just sitting in my car and a drunk driver plowed into me there's there's something that you could have been doing to to avoid that in some way, even if it seems totally random. So kind of internalize that and, and use it is, is one. Uh, the other is, uh, the aforementioned Jimmy lesson, just be generous and don't be generous because you're generous, be generous because you could do it because you're a narcissist. I mean, Jimmy's, a narcissist, he's not magnanimous. He's, he wants what's he wants people to think of him and go, "Wow, I love that guy," or "Owe that guy my career," or "I owe that guy." You know, I want to help that guy. He likes it. He, it's healthy. Like it, it's fine. It's fine to um, go. I want to do this, and don't look at it as being sort of out of pocket. It's you. You pay for dinner. A couple of times and then you your dinner gets paid for for in perpetuity so you know be be that um and then i guess um simple test uh would be the phone ring uh identification test which is when the phone rings start hearing the phone literally just started ringing right when you said that. When the phone rings and your name comes up and whomever sees it, what do they think? Because we've all had that person or people where like the phone rings and you see it and you're like, I'm just not really up to this right now. Or what do they want? They want something. I can't deal with this person. And then there's people you go, oh, Cool are good. I get to, this person's calling. I get to talk to this person. What emotion do you elicit from others? If your phone, if your name is popping up on their phone, what is their impulse 
going to be. And, and, and the freest, you know, the freest anyone will be is just go, Oh, that's you. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's happening. You know, like it's, it's a, it's a kind of interesting metaphor because we, we all have a scale. We have the people in our lives where they call, they go, Oh, good. And then there's the people at the bottom where you're like this, I'm not picking that phone up. And then the ones like in the middle where you're like, depends on your mood. Yeah. yeah, they would. I know. I'm not up to this. I'll call them back or, or whatever. Like you got to figure out where you rank. Yeah. And then try to adjust your ranking. It's a great three truths. I appreciate it. Uh, Adam, final question. What is your definition of greatness? Um, I mean, personally for me, it's, it's, it's living up to your potential. I, I was, I was talking to someone about this last night and they were like, what was your plan with show business or what was your plan with this or what's your plan? I said, I just wanted to, I wanted to live up to my potential. And they kept talking about money or ratings or something. And I was like, no, I was a carpenter. I, I knew I could do comedy and it was bothering me that I wasn't realizing it and I wasn't living up to my potential and that potential doesn't mean riches or or accolades or academy awards or anything it's just I was doing this I thought I could be doing that and I wasn't satisfied until I was doing that and not because that was better or more noble. It was just, I knew I could do it and I was going to be horribly unsatisfied in life because I felt I had this potential and I wasn't living up to it. And to me, that's the definition of a great life. If you can live up to your potential, even if your potential is not sexy or glamorous or any of your potentials, maybe it's just being a, a great dad. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's your potential. That's something to aspire to. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me, as well as ad free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our greatness plus channel on Apple podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend, leave us a review over on Apple podcast, and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. <laughs>